Amen. Hey, you guys can be seated. How are we doing tonight? Good? I need a little bit more than that. Come on. All right, good. Hey, uh, we're going to jump right in. Um, we're going to be in 2 Timothy chapter 4, ending up our series in uh, 2 Timothy. Um, so while you're turning there, I've got a little bit of a shameless plug. Uh, I'm excited about our upcoming series, uh, The King in the Kingdom. It's a six-week series that's going to march us to Christmas. Uh, there's three purposes for this series. Uh, vision, kind of what we're doing here at New City Church. Uh, we want to fuel our faith uh, in Christmas. So vision, faith, and Christmas. I thought it sounded like a little bit like a, a Hallmark Christmas movie. So I'm excited about it. It's going to be primarily in the Old Testament, uh, but anchored out of Matthew 1.1. We got one verse for six weeks, so it's going to be a doozy. Um, so I'm excited about it. Last week, Jason, uh, he brought the word for us. Um, he made an offhanded comment about beards, so we'll see if he, uh, we let him preach again. Um, I was in Ohio last week preaching at one of our partner churches. Uh, you know, all I didn't get the week off of preaching, I did get a week off of preparation. And I'll say this, just having a week off uh, to reflect and dream and pray and plan and, and, and being just refueled, it was so helpful. I'm more confident, I really mean, I really, really mean this, I'm more confident now in what we're doing than ever before um, and I'm really, I'm really thankful for where the, for where the Lord has us right now, um, being in a place of complete dependence. God has impressed upon my heart over the past week uh, that we must be a people of dependent faith and dependent prayer. Dependent faith and dependent prayer. And I've been praying all week over and over and over again that God would use our efforts to bring a harvest of salvation. I mean, that's just been the thing that's been going through my head, that God would bring a harvest of of salvation and, and, and believing that God is able and believing in faith, this is what God wants to do. Um, not, and honestly, not for our sakes, but for the sake of the nations. Right? We want uh, to see God, the, the, the gospel, go to the ends of the earth. So I've been praying that God would bring uh, a great harvest, uh, knowing that God is able. And, and honestly, I wasn't sure if I was going to share this with you or not, um, because it, it's a little strange. <laughs> uh, but it encouraged me, so I'm going I'm to share anyways. I had a dream this past week, um, you know, and God often uses dreams in strange ways. You know, we, God used dreams in the Bible. Um, you know, to, we see people have dreams all over the world, uh, leading them to trust in Jesus. Sometimes they're prophetic. Uh, most of the time they're, they're just strange, weird, and deceptive, so we have to be really careful uh, with dreams. I usually have dreams wake up and think, well, that was weird, um, and just go about my day. But this past week I had a dream, and it really encouraged me, and it encouraged me towards a fervency of prayer. Um, and so I wanted to share it with you. You know, in this dream, I saw multiple uh, large stacks of just towels in a hallway. You know, towels stacked up on tables. Uh, and then a large cart of just, you know, like a big square cart rolling in more towels. Uh, you know, it could have just been the weird bowl of cereal that I had the night before uh, at the YMCA. I don't know. Um, but when I woke up, I had in my mind, I be- and I believed it was for those that God had, that we were baptizing out of the harvest. Um, and it felt like I was seeing a taste of God's harvest of salvation. And it encouraged me, and it fueled me to, to pray and to beg God for the harvest, beg, begging God to see it. Um, and it fueled my faith. And I, and I pray it does the same for you, you know, because I think that, that God does want to bring a harvest of salvation through New City Church. I really do. I, I don't know when. You know, it, it, could, it could be today. It could be 30 years from now. Um, but I'm committed to praying pers- persistently until it happens. You know, if it, if it takes uh, 20 years for this to happen, 
Um, I pray that our church would have the faith to continually pray for it and to continually beg God for it, persistently begging God uh, that we would be a people of lasting and sustaining and enduring, bold and persistent faith. Um, com- continually begging God for a harvest of salvation. And again, not for our sake, not that we would see uh, a large crowd gathered here, but uh, more so for God's sake, so that they could be discipled and sent out uh, to their neighbor and across the, sh- and across the world to, to see, to, for those who have never heard. Um, you know, we've seen, a lot of, many of us in here, we've seen hundreds of people baptized in a day, um, and I'm, I'm jealous for God to do it again. You know, it's, it seems uh, like a crazy, bold, audacious thing standing here today, but I believe that God is able. And I believe it more today than I, ha- than I ever have. Um, he may do it, he may not, um, but I, I refuse, uh, <laughs> I refuse to, to let it not be because of our lack of faith. Just Matthew, Matthew 13, 58, uh, I was reminded of it this week, and it says, Jesus did, did not do many mighty works there because of their unbelief. And this is something that I want to absolutely refuse for our church. That we would not be a people of unbelief and a lack of faith. That we would have bold, audacious faith. And may it, may it not be that God doesn't move through us because of our lack of faith. And I, I pray that we'd be people of persistent uh, faith and persistent prayer. And I believe that God is leading us to this. He's leading us through this. Uh, into a place of great dependence and a place of great faith and leading us to be persistent in prayer. Um, and so that's where we're going over the next several weeks and really into January as well. But for today, we're going to finish up 2 Timothy. Um, and, and at first glance, it kind of reads like a, like a dysfunctional family reunion. So that's where we're going today. But we've got, uh, so we've got a list of over 20 funny names uh, in our text and it reads kind of like, hey, Timothy, my crazy cousin ditched me. My uncle, the coppersmith, was mean to me, but it was good to see my uncle Bo. Uh, can you bring my favorite uncle Ricky when you come back? Oh, yeah, I left my coat back at my crazy Aunt Sally's house. Can you bring them with me when you come? So that's kind of what it feels like. Um, it's one of those passages that would be easy to skim over. But we know from last week we can't do that. Uh, because Paul just said, all Scripture is profitable and so our passage today, it's, it's God's Word. It's Scripture. And so these are God's words. And so this is, this is really interesting. I've, I've uh, you know, these words, they're important. Um, I think they're important for us here today. I really do. I believe that we need this today. And so I'm going to read our passage where we left off last week in verse 9. But, um, and then I'm going to kind of pull back from verses 6 through 8 later. Uh, so look at me with verse, starting in verse 9. So let's dive in. It says, Do your best to come to me soon. For Demas in love with his present world has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia, Titus to Dalmatia. Luke alone is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you, for he is very useful to me for ministry. Tychicus I have sent to Ephesus. When you come, bring the cloak that I left at Carpus at Troas, also the books and above all the parchments. Alexander the coppersmith did me great harm. The Lord will repay him according to his deeds. Beware of him yourself, for he has strongly opposed our message. At my first offense, no one came to stand by me, but all deserted me. May it not be charged against them. But the Lord stood by me and strengthened me, so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed, and all the Gentiles might hear it. So I was rescued from the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. To to him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet Prisca and Aquila and the household of Anusiphorus. 
Erastus remained at Corinth, and I left Trophimus, who was ill at Miletus. Do your best to come before winter. Eubulus sends greetings to you, as do Pudens and Linus and Claudia and all the brothers. The Lord be with your spirit. Grace be with you. I made it. I made it. When I read this the first time, I was like, we've got the phone book this week. Um, but as I already said last week, all scripture is profitable. And so I'm believing in faith, like I said, that God has a great word for us. Um, and I love this. this. This is so true. This list of names, um, if God's word is profitable, we need this ending, this closing remark, more than we need uh, food in itself. You know, with, with that said, let's, let's get into it. One of the things we saw at the end of last week uh, was Paul's, uh, Paul's ending his ministry well. He was faithful to the end. So today we're going to draw from Paul's examples of faithfulness and look at a few other examples of faithfulness. And uh, so with that said, here's, here's our big idea. Okay? Christian, remain faithful. Remain faithful. Christian, remain faithful. I'm going to explain a little bit more in a second. But before we do that, let me catch you up to speed in about 15 seconds. Remember, he, Paul, he's, he's in prison here. Uh, th- and this is his last recorded letter that we have from him. Paul has been encouraging Timothy to remain bold, to stand firm, and advancing the message of the gospel. And so with us knowing that, I want to reread, as I was talking about earlier, uh, the, the second half of what Jason covered last week, because in a lot of ways, this tees up this concept of faithfulness in verses 6 through 8. So look at verses 6 through 8 again. It says, From already being poured out as a drink, drink offering, and the time of my departure has come, I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. So Paul knows uh, he's about to be martyred, he's about to be killed, and he's reflecting on his life and ministry and saying, I've, I've fought the good fight, I've finished the race, and I've kept the faith. In essence, he's saying, hey, I, Paul, Timothy, I've remained faithful to the end. Right? It was hard, it was difficult, it was a fight. There are often times when I wanted to give up, but God has sustained me to the end. He's saying, Timothy, I remain faithful. Right? I, I want you too also to remain faithful to the end. And we know that this is just not for Timothy. Right? We know that this is for us too, because he's saying in verse 8, I want this for all who've loved his appearing. Um, the appearing of God, he's, he's essentially just speaking of Jesus. And so he's saying all those who have loved Jesus, who have put their trust in Jesus, he wants all Christians to remain faithful to the end. And so I believe that God has, uh, God's plea for us today as Christian, remain faithful. And as we read earlier, Paul's, Paul references over 20 different people in our text, and he's talking about his community. He's talking about his friends here. And we can see them as examples of faithfulness. And then we can also see that some weren't so faithful. Right? They were faithless. So we've got these concepts of community and friendship kind of tied together with faithfulness. And knowing that, uh, here's our outline for today. Uh, we'll see in our text, we'll see a community of faithfulness. We'll see a community of faithlessness. And then we'll see a model of God's perfect faithfulness. When we think of Faithfulness or faithlessness, it would be uh, helpful to define these terms. Uh, it would, you know, at, at the most basic level, faithfulness is being full of faith. It's being full of faith. Faithless, it's, it's the exact opposite. It's being faithless. It's lacking faith. So when, what we must ask then is what is faith? So the dictionary, you know, the dictionary definition 
of faith is faith is having complete trust or confidence in something or someone. When we have uh, complete trust or confidence in something or someone, it affects our actions. For example, I do not trust my two-year-old to be left alone, right? I will not hand her a marker in faith or in trust, trusting that I can walk out of the room with her, right? Or, and, and that marker, I can't trust that that marker will only stay on that little piece of paper that we have put in front of her. She has a history and actions that have caused me to not trust her, to, not, to lack faith in her handling of that marker, uh, and also crayons and pens and toothpaste and cleaning supplies and toilet paper and really just about anything. Um, you know, we have abstract art all over our house, and let me tell you, it's not because my wife is an artist, okay? Magic erasers and toilet paper, uh, they are on the same level of importance on our grocery list, um, because uh, of the markers that have been in my two-year-old's hand. So for those who do not have kids know this, you cannot trust a two-year-old with a marker. Why? Because of their actions. They tend to lack faithfulness in their handling of the marker. So as Christians, we can judge faithfulness or faithlessness by looking at our actions. So Paul here is saying, hey, I finished the race, Right? I, will, I, I did not deny the faith. I did not reject Christ. I gave everything I had. And just to give you an idea of how Paul remained faithful, uh, even in difficult times, Paul wrote this letter uh, about 30 years after his conversion on the Damascus Road. Okay? For some of Paul's other letters, uh, we know that he experienced imprisonment and terrible beatings. He was whipped and stoned. He, had, he almost died a couple of times. He was shipwrecked three times. He experienced great dangers from the sea. Uh, he had many sleepless nights. He was hungry. He was thirsty. He was often cold without food. He was lacking clothes. Uh, so that was Paul. And here I am. We've got baby frogs coming out of our sink uh, in our bathroom. And I'm a little worried about it. So you guys can pray for us. It feels like the plague has come onto our house. Um, but seriously, here's the thing. In spite of all of Paul's uh, troubles, uh, he remained faithful to the end. And he wants the same for Timothy. He wants the same for Timothy. And also, it extends to us here today. I want to I first go through our passage and look at, the, look, at, look at those that show examples of faithfulness and then those that did not. Those that showed to be faithless. That's our second point. But, uh, and then finally, we're going to see the Lord's perfect faithfulness. But let's first look at our, our first point. A community of faithfulness. In a lot of ways in this passage, uh, we can see the importance of good friends in an encouraging community. Uh, as Pastor Kent Hughes said um, in regards to this passage, he said, we need tough friends for tough times. Look back at verse 9. Paul says, do your best to come to me soon. Um, he's asking Timothy, he's like, Timothy, please, please come to me. You know, come visit me in prison. I need you to come. Right, why? Because he's lonely. Paul has been abandoned, and also he sent others to other places. And look down at verse 11. He says, Luke alone is with me. Oh yeah, and get Mark too. He's, also, he's, he's useful for me. Um, you know, it kind of it makes us feel bad for Luke here a little bit. You're like, poor Luke, right? What, what happened to Luke? Uh, why is Luke not enough? But many have said that uh, it was probably Luke that wrote this portion of the letter for Paul as Paul's secretary, kind of smiling as he wrote it. 
um, because we know from the book of Acts that Luke was a good friend for Paul. Luke was a tough friend for tough times. You know, he, uh, he remained with him when everyone else abandoned him. Look down at verse 13. Paul says, When you come, bring the cloak that I left with Carpus at Troas, also the books, and above all, the parchments. Down in verse 21, Paul asked him uh, to come before winter. Uh, so old, old, old frail Paul, he really needed that coat. Right? He knew it was going to get cold, but he also wanted those books. Uh, for those that care, um, Charles Spurgeon wrote a, uh, a he, he, he drafted a famous sermon on that one phrase about the books. Um, I'll sum it up for you. Never stop learning and reading, right? Something we say often around our house is readers are leaders. Um, so great leaders read God's word and they read good books. That one was free, okay? I think this last thing is a bit interesting. Um, it caught my attention because I didn't know what it was. He said, above all the parchments, Okay, so more important than his coat for winter and more important uh, than his books that he loved, he wanted the parchments. So if you don't know what parchments are, parchments are what they wrote on. It was, you know, vellum sheets of like animal skin. They often wrote letters on these parchments and things like that. And uh, there's been a lot of speculation over this special meeting here. Uh, And to be honest, no one really knows what's going on, Um, but it's at least interesting uh, we've got this meeting called by Paul, the Apostle Paul. He's got Luke and Mark and Timothy, uh, the guys that wrote most of the New Testament, meeting together before Paul's execution uh, with some books and something to write on. So um, I'll let you and the other scholars make speculations on what they're doing at this special meeting. Uh, but more importantly, I think Paul wanted tough friends for tough times. You know, we can talk about what they were doing, why they were meeting, but I think the most important thing is that Paul knew he was about to be martyred, and he needed tough friends for tough times. He was about to be executed, and he wanted his friends there with him. Paul, the man who was inspired by God to write part of the Bible, he too, he needed to be encouraged. Paul needed to be encouraged. Paul knew the importance of a strand of brothers. If you don't have this in your life, locally, here in Tampa, you need this. And we want to help you get this. It's not perfect, but our method for having, helping us have a brotherhood or a sisterhood in, this, in, this, in these regards, having a band of brothers, it's groups. You know, that's, that's how we do it here. We want, we want to help you get into a, into a group because uh, you need a band of brothers and sisters in your life um, so that they can, we can be there for each other during tough times. We need to be surrounded with a faithful community We need tough friends for tough times. With that said, let's look at our second point, okay? We're going to look at examples that do not show faithfulness, okay? We're going to look at a community of faithlessness. So the ideal scenario is that we would surround ourselves with faithful friends, friends that stand by our side during these difficult times. But we know that the world is broken, and it doesn't always happen that way. People will let us down, we will be abandoned, and there will be times when we feel alone and isolated and wronged. And to be honest, this should not be shocking to us because this happens to everybody outside the church and also inside the church. It happened to Paul. Paul was abandoned, and we cannot forget that it also happened to Jesus. Jesus was also abandoned. You know, if it happened to Paul... In Jesus, we can be confident that this is going to happen to us too. We too will feel abandoned. 
we will feel lonely and isolated and wronged by those friends inside the church and outside the church. You know, every, every church that I've been a part of, it's felt like a dysfunctional family. Everyone. Hence, why I think the end of Paul's letter feels like a dysfunctional family reunion, right? With his crazy Uncle Bo and his weird Aunt Sally. So, I wish I could stand here and tell you that uh, you that you'll always have a band of brothers and sisters. But that's just not true. We need it. We should fight for it. And in God's kindness, we often receive this. But it won't come without seasons feeling as if we don't have it. If the guy who wrote most of the New Testament felt lonely and abandoned by his friends, if Jesus felt abandoned when he went to the cross, then we shouldn't be surprised when we feel the same way. We shouldn't. We should see here that being faithful in gospel ministry doesn't mean we won't be left alone. I'll say it again. Being faithful in gospel ministry does not mean we won't be left alone. I hope that in some strange way, I hope that in some strange way this is encouraging to you because I'm confident that many of you have experienced loneliness. But do you know why I think this should be encouraging to you? Because this should remind you that you're not the only one. It's easy in seasons of loneliness and isolation, in seasons when you feel like you're in a metaphorical prison cell, to feel like you're the only one, to to feel like everyone around you is doing great, uh, and especially in our social media age, right? It's just so easy to feel like the world is doing great and we're the only one that is struggling, and it can often feel like we're the only one that feels this way, and I get it. It still hurts, it's not fun, and it's still hard. But I think we can learn from Paul's season of isolation here and his season of loneliness. We're going to see his two examples of Paul's faithless community and Demas and Alexander, but but more specifically, how Paul dealt with it. Okay? Look at verse 10. Paul said, For Demas, in love with the present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. So in in short, Demas, he ditched Paul. (laughs) He cared more about the world than Paul. Demas' departure, it devastated Paul. Paul felt abandoned and Paul felt deserted. Paul invested in him. Paul invested in Demas like a brother. Uh, And Demas left him during a time of difficulty. When we see examples like this, we're we're reminded... That some of our greatest heartaches in ministry are not enemies of the gospel, but those begin to love the world in comfort more than they love Jesus. When we think God is working in someone, but yet they get caught up in the world and then they abandon their faith. That is one of the hardest things in ministry. It's so much easier to see people that don't, have never trusted Christ, never even been close to trusting Christ, and then they reject us, opposed to those that get caught up in the world and, and, lose, and lose everything. Right, or, lose sight, or, or those that lose sight of what God is doing in their life. That's hard. But in, what happened with Demas, it can be really hard, but something else that, that I think this can remind us of is that our deepest hurts can often come from our deepest loves. Our deepest hurts can often come from our deepest loves. It's those that are closest to us that can often hurt us the most. Whether it be a spouse that rejects you, Right? A, a friend that turns on you, a roommate that ditches you, a child that lashes out at you, a boyfriend or girlfriend that hurts you, these things hurt. Right? They hurt. 
When you invest in someone, when you love someone, and when they and they abandon you, this hurts. This is like real pain. But I'll say that when we experience these things, when we experience these seasons of loneliness and isolation and rejection, when we, when we experience these things, we experience a small taste of the pain and rejection that Jesus experienced at the cross. When Jesus took our sin, and because of our sin, Jesus felt true and real loneliness at the cross. When we think of what happened to Jesus at the cross, it's easy to think that the worst part of Jesus at the cross was the physical torture. The beatings, the whippings, the crown of thorns, being nailed to a cross, suffocating as he hung there for hours. But you know what? That was not the worst part for Jesus. The worst part for Jesus was that he was isolated from God. He felt true emotional anguish, true loneliness, and true rejection. (laughs) This should be so helpful and encouraging to us. Because Jesus can identify with our loneliness and rejection. He can meet us where we're at. We shouldn't be surprised when we feel this way, when we experience it, because although we feel alone, we are certainly not alone in this. Jesus can identify with us in this. Even though others show faithlessness to us, we can trust that God is always faithful. God is always faithful. So there's, there's so much to say here, but we want to, I want to keep moving. Look at these next two people really quick in verse 10. He says, Crescens has gone to Galatia, Titus to Dalmatia. We have no clue why they left. Right? My guess is that they may have been faithful to gospel ministry. But even in their faithfulness, Paul still experienced isolation because of it. It felt like faithlessness to him. Real quick, for us here today, even in times of great faithfulness, okay, when we are doing the Lord's work and we're advancing the gospel, laboring for the Lord, we can see here that others because of us being faithful, may also experience loneliness and sadness. Others around us. Crescens and Titus aren't at fault for Paul's loneliness. They were probably doing what Paul called them to do. This happened to Paul. It's going to happen to others too. Okay? Look down at verse 14. It says, Alexander the coppersmith did me great harm. The Lord will repay him according to his deeds. It says, Beware of him yourself. For he strongly opposed our message. At my first offense, no one came to stand by me, but all deserted me. May it not be charged against them, but the Lord stood by me and strengthened me. So from this, we know that Paul, he had an adversary. His name was Alexander the coppersmith, and Paul was in trouble, and nobody helped him. His boys just kind of left him hanging here. He said to the large crowd as he read this, um, you know, this was almost like a public rebuking, because they often read these letters in large crowds and he said they all they all deserted me you know watch out for that alexander guy he's a bad guy right but in spite of the public rebuking paul still shows kindness and says at the end of verse 16 he says but may it not be charged against them but then look at what he says next i love this this is the, the paul says but the lord stood by me and strengthened me in verse 17 But the Lord stood by me and strengthened me. Get this. In the midst of Paul being abandoned, in the midst of him being deserted by his friends while he was in seasons of loneliness and isolation, Paul found a depth of the Lord's sweetness that he probably would not have found if this did not happen. In the midst of Paul's loneliness and isolation, Paul experienced God's grace. 
Paul experienced God's grace in the midst of all of us. He experienced, number three, the Lord's perfect faithfulness. He experienced the Lord standing by him. He experienced the Lord standing with him and strengthening him. When Paul was down, when he, Paul felt lonely, he felt like he was in total isolation. When his people had abandoned him, Paul experienced... He experienced the Lord's promise that He will never leave us or forsake us, that God stands by us in all seasons, right? In seasons of triumph, in seasons of joy, in seasons of loneliness, in abandonment, in oppression, and in great difficulty. Because of these difficulties, because He was abandoned, as hard as it was, Paul was able to greater understand the Lord standing with him. How the Lord stands by His people. Think about this, okay? Why do, uh, why do kids run to their parents? When do they want to stay close to their parents? When do, they, when do they want to be held by them? Oftentimes when they're scared, right? When they're isolated or abandoned. Many of you know, um, my youngest is in a season of wanting mommy all the time. Just running for mommy, uh, just trying to hug her is, is, a, is, a, is a massive challenge. I'm always asking for my youngest to come and give me hugs, but she just wants to be with mommy all the time. Um, I'm working still tirelessly to woo her over to team daddy. Um, you know, but, but, but daddy had a victorious moment this weekend, okay? It was great. I took the kids to the aquarium, and we went to the little 4D uh, Octonauts movie they had there. If you haven't been there, you've got to go. It's like a 15-minute mo- movie, and... If you're jumpy, it's going to scare the wits out of you. You know, it's, they get you. They like, it, you just got to go. It's, it's, a, it's a 4D experience. Uh, just beware. Uh, my older kids, they loved it. My youngest, she was terrified. She was sitting next to me, um, and she was just hugging on me the entire time. You know, I loved it. I loved every single bit of it because she was terrified. She was latching on to me, hugging me, wanting to be next to me because mommy wasn't there. It was only daddy. Right? She had to be with me. So she was afraid, so she wanted to be close to her daddy. And I loved every second. But we know uh, that the presence of a mom or dad in a, in a difficult time for a kid, their closeness is much sweeter. It's much more comforting. And their closeness is much more satisfying. And it's much more appreciated. So for us here today, in our times of loneliness and isolation, in our times of abandonment, I want to call us to find the sweetness of God. Right? That we would sit to sit, that we would seek to sit in the Lord's presence to be reminded that the Lord is standing by us. Listen to me. When we sin, our sin says to Jesus, Jesus, I've abandoned you. Every sin we've done, we're saying to Jesus, I've abandoned Jesus. But even though we abandoned Jesus with our sin, Jesus did not abandon us at the cross. Right? Jesus stayed hanging on the cross for us. He could have had a legion of angels take him off in an instant. He knew that we rejected him. He knew that we abandoned him, and he knew that we chose sin instead of God. But he stayed anyways to take our sin that isolated us from God. And then he took on the greatest isolation and loneliness that any man or woman has ever experienced on this planet so that we no longer would be isolated and rejected by God. But rather, he took, on our, he took on our rejection so that we could experience and know God's perfect faithfulness. So we could experience the community of God that we all need. 
the ultimate community that God can provide, the communion with God. Listen, God sent Jesus so our sin would no longer leave us isolated from God. And so that we can have a community with God. Continuing with the same idea, Paul reiterates this down in verse 18. Listen to what it says in verse 18. It says, The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Paul knew that every single one of his evil deeds was taken by Jesus through the cross, at the cross. And that through Jesus, Paul knew he would be rescued into God's heavenly kingdom, where he would experience the ultimate community with God, that he would be with God forever because he has trusted in Christ. He believed that Jesus had done everything necessary to save him. But this is not just for Paul. This was for us too. To put this plainly, when we trust in Christ, when those that are around us trust in Christ, they gain eternal life. But on the flip side, when those that we're interacting with, when they do not trust Christ, as the passage says in the verse 17, we're left, they're left in the lion's mouth if we do not trust in Christ. To put it plainly, without believing in Jesus, if someone does not trust in Christ, God will not rescue them from their evil deeds. Without Christ, people are left in their sins and left without hope. Without trusting in Christ, if, if they do not believe, God will not bring them safely into his heavenly kingdom. Right? They will not gain eternal life with God in heaven. And hear me on this. We want to be urgent to take the gospel to them, to people. Life is a vapor. Right? Life is a vapor. God demands a response from every single person around us, from every single person in this room. We all God demands a response. Because our standing, the people around us that we're investing in, their life has eternal consequences. It's either utterly devastating or filled with joy and worship and everlasting life with God. There's no in-between. Jesus is the only way to eternal life with God. There's no other way. Good deeds will not get them to heaven. right? Good works will not get us to heaven. Doing more good than bad, it won't work. Being a civil person is great, but it will not work. It absolutely will not get anybody to heaven. God has told us very plainly in His Word. There is only one way to be with God in heaven for eternity. And it's through Jesus Christ who was hung on a bloody cross for our sins, for your sins, my sins, and the sins of the world. Only those who trust in Christ can have everlasting life. We have got to be a people that are urgent to take the gospel to our neighbors. Do not, do not miss this. If, if we have friends that have not trusted in Christ, if, if you know someone that has not trusted in Christ, if you have not trusted in Christ, don't miss this. Come to Christ. Take the gospel to people. He wants us, He wants them to be with Jesus forever. Right? We have got to be urgent in this. The Bible says, if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God is raised from the dead, then you will be saved. We, they must believe in their heart. And they must tell someone. Uh, let's look down at verse 17. As we've seen in this passage, God wants to sustain us and also wants to send us out into the world with a message. And we see that in verse 17. But he says, But the Lord stood by me and strengthened me so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. Paul knew that God saved him and also sustained him and strengthened him and stood by him. Why? 
Why did, why did Paul experience this grace? So that through him, as he said, the message of the gospel might be fully proclaimed to all the Gentiles. That's us, right? A Gentile is basically just a, it's just a non-ethnic Jew. It's an all-encompassing statement. He's essentially saying the message of the gospel is for everyone. It's for the entire world. We're saved by a message, and we're sent out for, with a mission. This, this, what's interesting about the end of this letter and, and is that we see that Paul experienced the grace of God. He experienced the strengthening and the abiding and the sustaining grace of God. But he, he experienced it specifically for God's mission. It's really interesting. God showed his sustaining grace. He shows us the sustaining grace for us, because he care, not only because he cares for his people, he cares for us as his children, but also because he wants us to experience it and know it so that others will know it and experience it also. You know what I realized this week about this letter? You know, uh, Paul wrote this letter um, that we've been kind of in over the past 10 weeks. He wrote this entire letter in a season of abandonment, isolation, and loneliness. Do you know I was encouraged by this? Because it reminded me that God's greatest work is often done at the darkest hour. God's greatest work is often done at the darkest hour. This was perfectly portrayed by Jesus at the cross. God's greatest strength in conquering sin and death was also shown during the time of what was perceived to be His greatest weakness, being martyred and beaten and whipped and hung on a bloody cross. We see this yet again. If it's true for the master, it's also true for his servants. God, God's word tells us this over and over again. When we are weak, God is strong. And do you know how this often comes about? It often comes through seasons of isolation, abandonment, hardship, and difficulty. When we are weak, God is strong. I hope and pray that we would be a people that when we experience difficulty, hardship, and discouragement, that we would not become complacent and stagnant in faith. But we would be a people that cry out to God, seeking to know and remember that the Lord stands by us and that the Lord strengthens us, that we would step into God's perfect faithfulness. With that said, I want to close out this series. I want to close out our time tonight. Am I looking at this very last verse uh, in 2 Timothy, verse 22? Paul said in, in conclusion, the Lord be with your spirit. He said, grace be with you. These are the very last recorded words that we have of Paul. These are, this is like the closing signature on his life. He said, the Lord be with your spirit and grace be with you. He's reminding us, this is so good. He's reminding us that the Lord is with us. And He often comes with grace. Don't, this is, don't miss this. Like, God has gone before us. God has prepared the way. The Lord is with us and He comes with grace. We can remain faithful in a time of difficulty, in a time of challenge. We can remain faithful till the end to do what God has called us to do because God is perfectly faithful. That's such good news. God stands by us to be with us because 
He gives us grace. God is, God is with us. God gives us just enough grace for each day. Praise the Lord. Right, we get just enough grace for today. We don't need to worry about tomorrow because He supplies grace for today. He reminds us, New City Church, that the Lord is with us. The Lord is with us. He has gone before us. He is fighting our battles. He knows everything that we need because God is with us. God has given us grace for today. Do not miss this. We have grace today. If He's given us grace for today, he's all, He will also give us grace for tomorrow. He gives us grace in our times of faithlessness and in faithfulness. He gives us grace in our times of isolation and abandonment and rejection. He shows us His grace through our community with tough friends for tough times. And He gives grace to save us, sustain us, and send us. New City Church, we have a great reason to remain faithful today. We have a great reason to know that God is with us. He's told us in His Word that He stands by us. We, don't, we have grace for today. The Lord is with us. Let's, let's pray. Father, I, I pray that we would be a people of lasting and sustaining faith. That our faith would be fueled today. That knowing that you are standing with us, to know that you have gone before us. Father, we need you, Jesus, more today than we've ever needed you. Father, I'm excited to see how you bring us into a, great, a place of great dependence. A, gr a place of persistent prayer. Father, you give us grace for today, you'll give us grace for tomorrow. Father, we need your help. We're thankful for the gospel. We're thankful for Christ. We ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen.